sponsor of CatsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, uh, April the 22nd. I almost said January. That is really strange. Um, we are going to talk about, let's see, Virginia picked up two important commitments uh, over the past week. Virginia obviously pulling in um, transfer running back um, Ronnie Walker out of uh, Indiana by way of Hopewell. Um, or did I do that backwards? Anyway, and then uh, pull in four-star Rivals 250 outside linebacker slash uh, weak side defensive end Josh McCarron last night, uh, or he got to yesterday afternoon on the East Coast, or sorry, yesterday evening, let's call it that. Uh, both of those are important commitments we, we will discuss. And then uh, with the draft coming up, um, we also will talk about kind of where Virginia's guys are sort of positioned and um, what that might mean for them, that kind of thing. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. Um, for tonight, everybody is Justin Ferber up in Reston. How's it going, buddy? It's going. Um, I'm waiting for my mom to send me a fruit roll-up care package, because <laughs> apparently that's a thing. Um, I'm actually not a big fruit roll-up guy in general. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I will take any any food. So. I'm going to have to tell the story now. Yep. Yeah. I literally just saw that before we just started That's recording. That's great. And I was like, well, that'll be a good intro. Yeah. I, you know, normally I don't think of anything. I just kind of say something <laughs> dumb. Um, at Justin, speaking of saying dumb things, at Justin <laughs> underscore Ferber on Twitter. Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for in-game updates, content, items. And every once in a while, uh, apparently I'll share something uh, San, or Los Angeles Chargers related because that's a thing. Um, all right. So several weeks ago, my kid was – I was on FaceTime with my mom or on the phone with my mom, and my kid wanted a fruit roll-up or something. And I mentioned to her that uh, when I was a kid that fruit roll-ups we – only, we only ever got them every once in a while. Um, and I remember being a kid in school trading like oatmeal cream pies for fruit roll-ups. Now, I'm not sure what kids I um, finagled into um, – um, giving me their fruit roll-up for an oatmeal cream pie. But nonetheless, it happened. Anyway, so fast forward to the other day, and there's a box outside. And I'm like, what is this? And it's a Sam's Club box. I'm not a member of Sam's Club. And I open it up, and it is the largest box of fruit roll-ups I've literally ever seen. And my kid, I mean, Abby would lose her mind. She thought it was the greatest thing she'd ever seen in her life. And it took me a while to realize that my mom had sent it to me. Um, so, yes. Uh, then, what's really funny, <laughs> my sister who listens to this podcast um, was actually just giving me crap like a little bit ago because we were on FaceTime for my nephew's birthday. And she's like, I don't remember this at all. Like, we totally had fruit roll-ups. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, listen, my my experience is my experience. She didn't get to re- revise it. So, yeah, so my mom sent me a massive box of uh, fruit roll-ups 30-some-odd years <laughs> after the fact. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. I mean, for a minute, for a few minutes there, I was completely, like, in, I was like a goose in a snowstorm lost. I mean, just completely no idea what was happening. Um, so yeah, that was funny. So you were not, so you're not really big into the fruit roll-ups, huh? What's your, what's your go, what was your go-to as a kid? As a kid? The thing you um, wanted in your lunch every day. It's probably not like the best thing, but the thing that I probably had the most were fudge rounds. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like the chocolate disc with the cream inside or whatever. Um, those were good. Um, the only reason I, I used to have those all the time is because my dad really liked them. So whenever we'd go to like a gas station or something, they were always like a quarter. Um, man, that makes me seem really old. Um, <laughs> they were like 25 cents. So he would like grab us one. And those were, you know, that was that's kind of a nostalgic thing. I probably haven't had one of those in like 10 years. So I would say that was probably the most common. As far as like what was in my lunches, um, I'm not saying we never had anything that wasn't good for us, but I'd say it was more like chips, that sort of thing. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Fruit roll up is just like a sugar sugar. Of ball. course, yes, that's why children like it. Yeah, like, that's that's the point. See, I'd prefer like a baked good. So you would like, like a cookie or something? Yeah. See, all right, see, I I was never see. I'm not into chocolate, and unfortunately, a lot of cookies that's their go to, right? Is chocolate something? Mm-hmm. And I don't do don't do nuts either. So. There you go. Just add it to the list of foods Brad doesn't eat. There we go. You know, Chocolate. Maybe, maybe later in the summer we'll get into a place where we don't have any other content. We can talk about all the foods I can't eat or don't like to eat. Mm-hmm. And how many times at some sort of function or event, Ferber's like, you're not going to eat that, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not eating that. 
Um, all right, let's. Yeah, uh, who you'll, you'll be like, oh man, it's some crazy thing, like some French dish, and I'm like, it's salmon with rice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real quick, I never said that it was French about salmon and rice. For the record, that didn't happen. It, yeah, it's it's, all right. it's just. He makes it seem like it's like some exotic thing. Okay, you would all get. right, that's that's enough. All Three-star right. Michelin. Meanwhile, back at the actual content we're supposed to be talking about on the podcast. Yeah, let's um, let's let's reel this in. So uh, Friday morning, um, we're supposed to talk to Virginia's coordinators, um, and then the literally the sickest edit I've ever seen um, gets dropped uh, as Ronnie Walker announces what I think everybody. At, I mean, I certainly felt like was a sure thing um even once his brother committed to ohio state I, I i felt like it was a sure thing um so he comes to he commits to uva as of now until the until the waiver is ruled on we'll go with what is the hard and fast option which is he will have to sit out this coming season and then he would have two seasons of eligibility remaining um he's a pretty pretty big deal i think for virginia not only because one their depth situation is is you know, frail to, to call it best, right? They've got two running backs this season. Um, nobody in this class expected to, to play that position. Um, so outside of the two, Wayne Talapapa and Mike Collins, and then you've got um, Jamari Peacock, but that's it because they've had PK Kyer and um, Lamont Atkins and Seneca Millage all uh, leave um, uh, for various reasons in such a one situations. Um, what was your reaction to seeing the news that Ronnie had committed to UVA? Uh, I mean, I, we didn't know it was coming when it did, uh, but, I mean, we knew it was coming, right? Like, it just seemed like it was heading in that direction. Uh, he's a guy that UVA really had a great chance to get out of high school where it seemed that way, and then things kind of turned against them at a certain point. Um, and he ended up at Indiana, who, you know, you got to give them credit for being able to convince him, a kid from Virginia, to go to Indiana. I mean, it's not an easy pull, so... Um, you know, he, he played two years there. He was kind of a depth option, but another factor is that they recruited a running back after him that I don't think they expected to be as good as he ended up being. And Stevie Scott, who was, you know, fantastic against UVA last year when they played, um, and really just became a really, really good back. And he's going to be the feature guy. Ronnie Walker is a versatile player who can do a lot of things, but I think he, you know, gives him an opportunity to get closer to home play in the ACC and also play more probably. So I think it's a good fit for him. I think it's a good fit for UVA. Obviously I was really high on him out of high school. That was a top target for UVA and they weren't able to close. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, they were able to get him to come back to Charlottesville. So that's a good sign. Uh, I, I think he's a talented player. I think he's a versatile player that can give you a lot. He kind of reminds me of Lamont Atkins in a, like from a skill set standpoint, like he can catch the ball, he can run, he's a shifty kind of guy. Um, you know, but he can still hit holes and run. So, I mean, I think he's, he's a talented player. It seems like there's some optimism about him being able to play next year. So, uh, that would definitely fill a need for UVA as well, just because like you said, so much attrition at that position. Yeah. The, the attrition is, is certainly chief on my mind. I think the other thing for me is that, listen, as I said in the, um, in the piece I wrote a couple of days ago or whatever, I don't know what day it is. Um, like there's, there's just really no way around the fact that Virginia has not UVA has just not done very well with kids in the state. Now they certainly have evaluated them and offered them and recruited them hard. Right. And maybe 2021 is a little bit of a turning point in general. Right. But in terms of like Ronnie Walker is a perfect example, right? Like he's a guy who I think for a long time, people saw Virginia as the team to beat. But at that point in the in the whole deal, you know, as as Anai said, I thought pretty eloquently, like the, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on at, on the field for UVA at that point, and so he chose to go play in the Big Ten. Um, the years since then, there's been some stuff going on on the field, and they have not been able to crack through. Now, granted, this past year they beat Virginia Tech, and I think for a lot of people inside Virginia, that game is seen as a big deal. I don't know on a case-by-case basis if that holds as much weight with kids. I do think it holds a lot of weight with non-player people. So what I mean by that are like not necessarily just you know um, players or their families, but like just normal people. And it, I do think that, that that rivalry, that game, impacts the way people see the two schools. And certainly in because of the streak and because Virginia just had not won in so long, 
that that was a serious sort of mountain for the Cavaliers to climb, right? Like in terms of the in-state recruiting piece, I don't think people were really going to buy Virginia as being legit until they won that game. Now, is that the reason, quote-unquote, that they've lost a bunch of recruitments? No, it's not the reason, but it certainly plays a role in it, and I don't think that you can ignore that. I, I think conversely, having won that game and now you can get a kid from local, does that help you? It certainly does help you in some ways, right? Is it going to get you a kid? Probably not, right? But I do think that it's worth talking about, and it's certainly uh, you know worth kind of listing out those things that are signs of the tide sort of turning. Um, you know, if there was a big in-state kid in the last few classes, chances are pretty good that dude's going out of state. That's just been the way it's been. Maybe that's because Virginia Virginia Tech haven't been you know as good or whatever as some of those Virginia Virginia Tech teams were. Um, when they were, you know, putting fences around the Commonwealth. But Virginia, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, has always been a state that exported talent. Um, especially, you know, you look at certain, you know, Penn State always does pretty well in Virginia. Carolina usually does pretty well in Virginia. Uh, Florida State typically does pretty well in Virginia. I mean, it just depends on which kids are, are, are you know, are pretty good that year and where they're from. Um, but I do think that getting Ronnie Walker helps in the sense that that's another guy who people know um, in and around Central Virginia um, will it, you know, lead to another commitment or two? Probably not. But at the same token, look, he's got two very talented brothers, right? Travion Henderson and his younger brother, Keyshawn, um, in 2024. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, um, now that Ronnie is committed, that you should expect Travion to, to, to switch it up. Okay. I, don't, I, I, I would almost say not to expect that just right. because... It, I mean, like, like we just, or like I just said, I mean, I think the Ronnie Walker thing was kind of in the works for a right. while exactly. when he like, transferred exactly. and, and Henderson committed to Ohio state a few weeks exactly. ago. It wasn't like, like he did exactly. it a long time ago. It, it he did it after the fact, like right. after Walker transferred. So. Right now, is it possible that, and look, I'm, this is certainly no slight at Travion and I don't want it to come across like that, but let, let's be real. Sometimes guys go away to school to, to, you know, blue chip places and decide, you know, whether it's the distance, maybe it's the, it's the roster, maybe the fit's not right, whatever. Could this be a, a opportunity for a bounce back? Just like Ronnie is probably right. There's, there's certainly or, a chance of that, you know, or there's always a chance. I mean, just because it's recruiting, I don't know anything, but um, there's always a chance that he decides later on in the process that he doesn't want to go to Ohio state. <laughs> you know, it's that's true. It's always possible, but I don't think people should be like, aha, like now you can connect the dots. It's like, I would almost go the other way and be like, if that was the case, why would he commit to Ohio state knowing that his brother was about to commit to UVA? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and also it's like, not like he committed to no offense, but it's not like he committed to pit. I mean, Ohio state's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's the other thing too, right? Is it's, it's not just a situation of here's a, here's a brother who is good. It's also like that dude's like, you know, he, he could, he's like an elite player. Right. And if he wanted to go to Virginia, he could have gone to Virginia. Now, listen, there's very real pull to be able to play somewhere with your brother. And, um, certainly in these times, right. It's not like he committed in a time when we didn't understand that we were in the midst of a, um, a thing, right. A pandemic, whatever you want to talk about it. Um, so I, like I said, I don't want to tell you that this is going to happen. Um, but I also think that like, if you think Virginia only went after Ronnie Walker, because like let Ronnie be his own, like I understand his brother's really, really good, but that was one of the things that was a little bit, I don't want to say frustrating, but it was a little bit um, confusing to me. It was like how quickly folks went from like this guy that they, that fans really, really wanted in, in that class to very quickly going to what about his brothers? Um, Fair question to ask. I just didn't know if like 17 seconds after the kid announces uh, is the right, is the right time to ask it. Um, but in terms of his skill set, he seems pretty perfect for what they what they would want to do at that position. And I mean, realistically, that threesome of running backs is actually kind of perfect for them um, in the sense of like where they want to be. Uh, I think Hollins is the truth. I think Tyler Pop is you know is is pretty solid, and and I think Ronnie Walker fits them um, really well. I was. You know, it's kind of in a way like I understand uh, PK and Lamont decided to 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 give up the the game and, and focus on other things. I was really excited to see what they could do this spring, given the chances that I expected them to have. And listening to Anai talk about the running game, I wondered, you know, maybe they would not have been, maybe they would not have gotten as many touches because things seemed pretty clear with with uh, with Hollins and Talapapa, but. 
I think Walker is exactly what they needed for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I also think that, you know, I just told you a second ago, don't expect, you know, do yourself a favor and don't, don't think about the whole situation, you know, with his brother changing up from Ohio state, you probably are f- pretty safe to expect that he's going to get that waiver. I think that waiver is, is a, is a very good safe bet. Um, I'll be shocked if they don't allow him to play right away. Um, Especially considering he could have just waited a year and then came to UVA next year, having yeah. played it. You know, he he didn't have to sit the year out really. Like yeah. he could have just played it in the end, graduated, and then came as a grad transfer. Right. Exactly. Unless he just absolutely didn't want to be there anymore. Right. And the chance for him to have two years versus just the the one. Um. You know, I think that's important. Um. In in terms of um. You know, if 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 he had wanted to play. Uh, if he wanted to just get his degree and then, you know, transfer, he would have had that season. So I mean, I think the f- the fact that he now still has two years of eligibility remaining, um, but I think he I think he plays right away. Um, I think that the NCAA is going to be dealing with a whole lot of other stuff, and waivers are probably going to get, you know, as if they weren't already, but waivers are probably going to get um, granted left and right, especially in a situation like his, where basically you got a kid who was in you know, in this state is now going back to their home state. I don't think there's, there's much around that. Um, I, I think the other thing to think about with, with Walker's commitment is how, what does this do for recruiting? So Virginia has a 2021 running back, Ahmad Faustin, um, who I think again is kind of a perfect fit for him. Um, do you think you, if you're, if you're, if you're Virginia, do you go after another running back in this class or do you kind of ride it as is knowing that you've got two years of Walker, regardless whether he plays this year or not? I'd probably just, I think, well, I think I'd be comfortable with what they have, you right, know? Right. But if you really find like a great player, then, then it's not, you're not like over the limit at the position. Right. So right. it allows you some flexibility without really being a need. Yeah. But I think, I think having Walker there, he's not really, a, I mean, he's going to be ready to play. He's not a freshman. So, um, that's good. And I think, you know, the Faustin kid is actually pretty, physically ready to play like if i just just going on his size so i think like i don't think you necessarily need to like load up on guys because you think they're not the other guys aren't going to be ready or anything like that so um from a numbers standpoint it would be nice to get another guy but i think you could probably wait until the 2021 class or 2022 i should say right as of now and i'm and i'm doing this off the top of my head um i think you can say virginia projects to have 16 seniors this coming season Right, so that's seventeen minus Chris Moore, and I'm scanning the names right now just to make sure that that's the number. So I mean, typically that's the best guide of like what the class is going to be in terms of numbers. Um, I, I think that it's probable that they'll, you know, they'll. Pro- I mean, I, I think that there's a very good chance they'll get at least one more grad transfer somewhere, um, especially because of how crazy you know this whole situation with um, the pandemic and everything has made you know time frames of what used to be normal when kids would decide if they wanted to transfer and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think 16. So you're probably looking at 17 or 18 given the, the uh, open scholarships from transfers out and stuff like that. So, I mean, numbers wise, I don't think they necessarily need it, but it wouldn't surprise me if they went and got uh, a guy, maybe a, um, you know, a Seneca millage type, somebody who could play a little bit more than just running back. Right. So maybe not yeah. somebody in the, in the Faustin or, or Walker kind of role, but maybe a, um, um, a slot guy who you might want to use in jet sweep stuff, um, who might be who might be more of an all-purpose back um, in our uh, database as opposed to just a true tailback um, and that kind of thing. All right, so let's move on to um, the other commitment Virginia football picked up this week. So um, Josh McCarron is a kid from the West Coast that has been trending toward UVA for a little while. Um, I heard last week that there was a, a virtual visit scheduled and, um, it sounded like after the fact the next day that that thing was, um, was going to be a done deal. Um, he eventually commits, uh, on, um, on, uh, Tuesday evening. Um, I think it's a perfect fit. I mean, we just talked about Walker and how perfect a fit he is. What did you think of McCarron watching his film and, and how do you think he projects once he arrives on grounds? Yeah, I mean, I think he's exactly what this coaching staff is looking for in an edge guy. Uh, I think he's got the athletic profile you want and the production. And usually with guys, like, you see a lot of guys that uh, have the athletic profile but maybe weren't 
as productive, like a Charles Snowden who kind of pro- looked like a project coming out of high school and ended up being much better than that. Um, or you get guys that are productive, but maybe they're not quite as athletic because the guys that are both are usually like really highly ranked and hard to get. Um, this kid, I mean, he is both. I mean, he had what 21 sacks last year and you see the athleticism. He's got good size. I think, uh, UVA found a guy that even though he's a low four star might end up being better than he's ranked. Um, and my question, I mean, Dave kind of texted me last night and asked me the same thing. Like, why didn't he have more offers from West coast teams? Um, but I think maybe he just goes to a school in an area that's not as busy as others or something. That's just speculation. Um, but I think he's a great addition for what UVA is doing. And it seems like, um, I mean, obviously they've had some changes with the coaches, you know, defensive line. Um, but it seems like they're some of their best wins on the recruiting trail have been these edge players. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with the guys that they've had, you know, come through the program recently or are there now, you know, and and just add dynamic players off the edge. And um, it's an easy sell in this defense. I think just with how aggressive they are and how they like to use the guys on the edge, I think it's, it's a good sell uh, for them. And, uh, you know, I think it's another good get for UVA for sure. Yeah. I think one thing we have to be probably careful with, with a lot of these 21 kids is when we think about offers, because like, maybe a handful got to go to one junior day, maybe two. Yeah. There's not a lot of junior day visits, but a lot of those, a lot of those offers were probably kind of there. And then camp season, man, like without camps, without being able to really go out without rivals camps, without, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a whole lot that we're more accustomed to, uh, in terms of, you know, data points, um, without that, especially, you know, especially if this thing lasts through summer or there are restrictions on the summer and, and, and kids aren't allowed to like, yeah. you know, go to actual schools and, and, and work out. Um, and it know. certainly wasn't meant to be like a indictment of, his Oh ability. yeah, no, 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 I know. I know. It's I just know. like I'm weird. Just, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is that like, we probably need to set our frame a little bit because there's probably gonna be a lot of those kids in 21 who, you know, you, you, you're going to have a handful of dudes, right. Who have like 50 offers or whatever, but a lot of kids, you know, you might get a guy who who has good film um, and a school really wanted to see him in person. Some school might just go ahead and offer off the film. Um, I, I think this is this whole situation is going to put schools in a that are good at the evaluation piece. Th- those schools are going to move to the front of the class, right? Like yeah. you're, you're certainly a, among your elites. You're going to you're just basically going to clean up in terms of who are the best of the best. But in terms of finding guys that fit what you want, um, you're going to have to rely on you know, film and, and in a way that you probably haven't before. Um, when I talked to Justin Anderson a few weeks ago about it, you know, his whole point was that, listen, evaluation is kind of our, is kind of our jam and it's kind of who we are and it's how, you know, it's kind of how we, we do it. Um, and so he, he seemed to, he seemed to think that, that, that this would not have, you know, the lack of visits and that kind of thing wouldn't have as big an impact. I tend to think that what it will do is it, it will make things much more regional. So the fact that this kid's choosing to go across the country, um, is kind of is kind of impressive to me. Um, but then also too, in, in addition to just being regional, I think you're going to have kids um, who are going to decide much later in the process than maybe they normally would have because they're at least trying to hope that they get those chances for visits. And let's be real, they're going to be a bunch of kids who want to have you know take visits later because they want the experience or they want the offers or whatever. So the fact that this kid's deciding not just to go across country but deciding to do it now. When there's really no, there's no rush for him. It wasn't like he was going to be a guy that you know Virginia was going to use a scholarship somewhere else. I mean, there was no, no, there was no rush. Um, so for Papinga and company to cl- to close that thing out on the heels of that virtual visit, I mean, that says a lot to me um, about not just in not just how much juice UVA had with him, but also to you know how you know confident he is in the in the decision. Um, I watch his film and. I mean, listen, when you can throw film of Charles Snowden and Noah Taylor out there um, and show dudes like this is the way we're going to use a guy like you. I mean, what else do you want? If you're if you're a kid like that, like what else could you want? Um, You know, maybe you want maybe if you're top, you know, rivals 100 guy, you're like, oh, I want to see, you know, I want to go somewhere where they're winning championships more regularly. Um, But in terms of fit, if you're a dude like Josh McCarron, you're in that Kyle Van Noy sort of um sort of niche it, it seems like a no-brainer um in terms of in terms of numbers that puts UVA in, I think in a good spot um in terms of the class right so um when you look at sort of where they are um in 2021 right now so I mean it's worth we should also mention that that McCarran is like the third highest rated um commit um of the Mendenhall era at UVA behind um 
Briggs, Briggs and um, and uh, Andrew Gentry this past year. Yeah, um, who was the 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 best? But so they so they got one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six guys, right? And you couldn't pick three more random places for those people to be from. <laughs> Cincinnati, <laughs> right? Ohio, an area that UVA does not recruit at all. Really. Yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, I think Littleton, Colorado, right? And yeah. uh, Everett, Washington. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, you've got a quarterback, you've got, you know, a couple wide receivers, you've got, um, a nice defensive back running back. You got a nice base to a class. If you think about it, um, I, I'm yeah, not sometimes gonna... I don't look at it by just the numbers of players. It's right. like exactly what you just said. You kind of hit, you have like a checklist and one of mine is quarterback, which usually they commit early. Um, cause there's only one per school really, or maybe two. Uh, you know, you got the quarterback, you got a few skill position, you know, guys, you got a running back. Now you get, you're starting to get some defensive players. Um, they got the other, uh, the kid from North Carolina, Langston Long, yeah. is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a corner. So, I mean, you, you're starting to kind of like put it together as far as needs. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the roster, um, and like I said before, right. So it's, it's always easy, an easy sort of connection to make when you are looking at guys who are going to be leaving the program and how many you got, you know, how many spots you got, but it's also a good idea to look at who they are. Right. So you've got, you know, a handful of defensive linemen, you got a couple offensive linemen. Um, one of them Gellers that we haven't even seen yet. Um, so it makes sense that offensive line needs to be a bigger focus for them. Um, they're losing um, Gellerstedt, Chris Glazer, uh, and Dylan Drankensmeyer in this class. So that would that would seem to imply like, all right, you 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 probably need to go get some offensive linemen. Um, that's been a, a an area they've built out. Um, several linebackers, you know, Gam, um, Snowden, uh, Snyder, Zandier. So you, you probably wouldn't be surprised if I you see him go get three more at that position. Uh, it doesn't have to be apples to apples, obviously, but just in terms of sort of the um, the sort of baseline. Um, but you look at the, of the sixteen, you know what six or seven of them are offensive linemen and linebackers. So, I mean, that seems to be a good bet. Uh, oh, and I forgot Elliot Brown as well. Um, that seems to be a good bet in terms of like where the bulk of this class will be. Um, and it usually is a pretty good indicator. Um, I, I think in the other thing I want to talk about before we move on to the draft, not long after these folks, um, this staff was hired, you know, they made a huge splash on social media and, not until recently, and I don't know if that's part pandemic or part just kind of a change in um, um, just sort of the way of things. They have not been as loud, um, even in e- even in times when they were victorious or there was lots of triumphs. I mean, you know, every once in a while, you, you know, you might get this or that, but it, it wasn't like a concerted effort. There certainly were no like bat signals from Broncos Twitter account that they got a commitment. Right. Um, I thought. With McCarron's commitment, well, but first for Ronnie and then now for McCarron, it felt like they may have gotten a little bit of their mojo back. And I wonder if you felt like that as well. Like it just seemed like that there was a little bit of a, a sea change. And I don't know if that's going to stick around or if it's mainly because these dudes have been cooped up in their house um, coaching via Zoom. What do you, what do you think? Do you do you get a sense that that this that that might be something that that that's here to stay again, or is this more of a flash in the pan? Yeah, I mean, you had two things that kind of hit right at the same time. And I think that probably led to a little bit of a resurgence uh, as far as like a, you know, public you know, PR momentum standpoint, whatever you want to say. Um, I think I think what you were talking about before, though, as far as them being quiet, I, I feel like that's probably the case a lot of places just because there's not a lot going on. Like, you know, a lot of the noise you hear is like, hey, we got players on campus and, you know, this is what's happening. It's, you know, it's like none of that's happening. So. Um, I think it's just kind of like, a, all right, let's just deal with these recruitments individually and see how they go because they're going to be very different one to the next, right? Like you said before, I mean, some kids are going to feel, especially the local guys who have maybe been to Charlottesville before or know the area, they're going to be more comfortable, you know, signing on or not need as much attention or maybe, you know, they don't, they don't need as many, they don't have as many questions to be answered as a guy like McCarron. Um, so I think you kind of have to just deal with each recruitment individually and maybe that kind of, you know, you can't get a bunch of players on campus at the same time and kind of try to feed momentum uh, into, you know, decisions or whatever. Um, I, I think that there's a possibility that things are going to start to pick up, though, because, I mean, we've been in quarantine for, what, like six weeks now? Um, 
it's getting to the point now where I think we're getting into the period of the year where it's a big decision time. I mean, UVA usually gets a lot of their commitments between May and August, right? I mean, because that's when players start taking their visits and, and school starts to slow down and they start to think about that senior year coming up and maybe they come to UVA for a camp and get an offer, that sort of thing. Um, obviously all those opportunities will be a little bit different this year or maybe not happen at all, but I think you will start to see more commitments across the board and, and maybe, you know, this does kind of translate to more momentum going forward. Um, but it just, I, I feel like everything's kind of so isolated right now from one recruit to the next. It's hard to kind of extrapolate that out into some giant swing of momentum. Yeah. I, 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 I think that in a lot of ways, you know, maybe the, it makes it would make sense to me if 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 that sort of initial excitement and stuff because of the way things sort of turned out in that first season that there needed to be a lot more work and this is a group that really does believe in earn not given and so maybe that was a part of it um and and again maybe after you know the world goes back to normal you know maybe there won't be as much of it i think for fans and certainly for folks who um you know who who enjoy the program it was a lot of fun to watch them you know, sort of let that out. And frankly, I think that that's a thing that kids sort of, I don't want to say expect, but it is something that really speaks to kids these days, right? Because that's just sort of the the currency of the moment, right? The currency of the culture. Um, it's that, you know, kids understand that like, yeah, coaches, you know, because now they can, you know, retweet and stuff, they can say things, but they can't necessarily, you know, be specific. I think for a lot of players, the the idea that your coaches are really excited about you, and that's how they express it, right? Like that's just the that is the like I said, the the currency of the culture. Um, you know how 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 else are are they going to other than just you know texting you and saying hey, you know we're really happy to have you? How do they say that to the world? That's the way they do it. So I, I think that in a lot of ways, more of that probably helps them. But also too, I don't get the sense that they're going to be you know, just doing it to do it. I think they were just legitimately excited about these two additions. And I think that's probably something we're going to see on some level going forward. Yep. All right. So the NFL draft begins what tomorrow night is tomorrow night, right? Yeah. As we Thursday record this. Night. Um, so breakdown, you, you've done some really good stuff with the, um, the draft profiles we've, we've been running out and I'll link those in the show notes. Um, so I think it's fair to say that Bryce Hall is the guy we expect to get the most, that has the best chance of being drafted at the earliest. Um, yeah, I mean, he's getting picked. Yeah. So then, but then it sort of falls off the table a little bit in terms of Joe Reed. We're really not sure. We think Joe Reed gets picked. We're just not really sure where and when. Right. Um, and then after that, it, there's a whole, just a whole bunch of uncertainty. Um, what's your, what, as we get closer to it, you, if you had to bet or if you had to, you know, give the, the forecast, what what to what where do you think how do you think it all plays out for UVA's guys? Yeah, it, I mean it is really hard to say, but you kind of hit on it actually before when we were talking about recruiting. Like, it's going to come down to these teams' individual film evaluations a lot more than normal because there's just not as much to go on. Luckily, there was a combine, so I mean guys like Joe Reed who was there um, got to run and do everything there, meet with teams. Um, all that, but I mean, like the visit stuff got shut down pretty much immediately just because of the quarantine. Um, so I mean, I think they're doing these like virtual kind of like Skype phone calls, but I mean, as far as like getting pro days and all that stuff, a lot of that stuff got canceled. So I think film is going to matter a lot. And with that, there's going to be more variance, I think from one team to the next and from the teams to the draft people that are usually pretty good. Right. I mean, the mock drafts and all that. So I think some teams might say, hey, Joe Reed, you know, we have him as our 42nd best receiver or whatever, and uh, he's projected to go from here to here. I mean, there could be a team that has him because they just really like the meeting they had with him or whatever, at you know, in the fourth round. Uh, so, I mean, it just, I think from one team to the next, all you have to do is have one team that really likes you to kind of determine, you know, where you go. So my guess, if I had to guess, is that Bryce Hall goes day two which would be day, uh, rounds two or three. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say early round three. Uh, Juan Thornhill last year went at the very end of round two, like 62nd or something like that. So it's going to be probably right around there. Uh, he could go as early as the 30s or 40s. He could go as late as the 80s, 90s. I mean, I mean, he could go on day three at the beginning, I guess. His thing is he has an injury that he's overcoming – um, and I think that this whole quarantine thing probably hurts the guys that have, are coming off things like that. So, um, 
he could get pushed down a little bit. And also he's more of a zone corner. So I think that, you know, he, he kind of fits certain schemes and for other teams, they might just not value what he does nearly as much. So, um, I, I'd say day three for him, uh, or day two, uh, for the day three guys, I would say Reed. I'd like his chances to get picked because of his versatility, special teams ability. Uh, some teams like him as a running back, which is where I kind of always thought he should have been playing. <laughs> um, I obviously know way less about football than the UVA football coaches do, but I always thought he was more of a natural fit at running back. Um, I think he gets picked in like round six or seven. The the thing is, and we'll talk about Dubois, of course, but the receiver group this year is like historically deep. So uh, I think that kind of is a factor, but Reed's ability to do more than play receiver and play special teams or maybe play running back might get him drafted. Um, for the rest of the guys, Bryce Perkins, Jordan Mack, Cassis Dubois, Eli Handback, I think, you know, there's not a ton of buzz around any of them getting picked um, at a certain place. I've seen everybody on a mock draft at some point uh, somewhere or, uh, you know, close at least. Um I think if I had to pick between those guys that are most likely to be picked, I would probably go Mac, uh, just because he was super productive early in his career and injuries kind of helped, you know, hurt him a little bit down the stretch. But it's going to come down to those teams' evaluations of his health. If if they think he can play, then then I think he's a pretty valuable player that's really good against the run and would be good on special teams. Um, but if they don't, you know, if they think, hey, the concussion and the ankle, all that stuff, like you know, that definitely pushes him down a bit. Perkins, I think, has a chance to get picked at the end of the draft just because of his versatility and maybe some team takes a flyer on him at quarterback. Um, and then also Dubois, I think, is good enough to be drafted. And I would not be surprised if he gets picked because I think some teams will value what he does with his hands and his ability to make circus catches and block. Uh, I think that's a valuable thing. It's just there's so many receivers in this draft, you just don't see them on a lot of mock drafts. But um, regardless, I think all of those guys end up on a team pretty quickly if they don't get picked. You were my draft, dude. Um, I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. That's really good. Um, sorry, I had to reach for a pen because um, I'm I'm trying to think of uh, of uh, titles. So my thing with the draft has always been that there's a certain element of uncertainty that I don't I don't enjoy about the draft. I mean, there are a lot of things that make sense, and there's some some there are some. Um, you know, some sort of guidelines that you might have. And there's a reason why you, you know, if you, if you mock it up, why the, the, the thing looks pretty similar. Cause you, you know, needs and, and, and systems and, you know, fits and things. How much do you, how much unexpected nonsense, craziness, uh, just twists and turns, what have you, do you expect this year? Because yeah, there was the combine, but like how many pro days were there? What's, what's your level of, of comfort with, any sort of feel for like how this thing will really roll this year versus years past. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think it'll be a variance thing. I think the biggest thing is going to be, there's going to be a few picks here and there, especially in the first day or two. And th there's always a lot of variance on day three. Right. Um, there's guys like you, you're watching the, the draft on day three, round four, and you're like, oh, so-and-so is available. Like I remember last year, you remember Kelvin Harmon from NC State? Yep. He was projected yeah. as like a third-round pick, and he just kept dropping and dropping. And I remember watching it, and as a Redskins fan, I was like, oh, they need receivers. That'd be a good pick. And every time he'd come up, they'd pass. And I was like – and they were taking guys I'd never heard of. I was like, I don't know who that guy is. Like guys that you have no idea who they are. And they ended up taking him in the sixth round because he just kept dropping. And I think that's what you see on day three. It's like there is a lot of variance where some teams have guys as a fourth round grade and other teams have them as undrafted. Um, the first three, the first three rounds is more everybody's sort of on the same page. But I think this year you'll see more variance in those rounds than normal. So you could see a guy get picked, you know, in like the I won't say like in the teens, but 20s or 30s that people are like, whoa, you know, like completely fourth round grade. And some team just falls in love with them. And because like and they can kind of like keep it on the low because there's no pro day like a lot of these uh, from what I understand. And I'm not a pro scout, but my understanding is that there is a lot of group think among these scouts who all attend yeah, the yeah, same they, events. They go, right. Yeah, that's true. So you, let's say you're standing on the sideline at the combine and you're watching. 
I don't know, uh, T. Higgins run. And you're like, man, this guy's not as dynamic as I thought he was. And it's like, yeah, you're right. And then that kind of trickles down. And then you start to hear about it in these mocks or from reporters. And this actually is a thing, by the way. T. Higgins' draft stock has kind of fallen. Um, but, like, I mean, I still think it'll go pretty high. But, I mean, like, I think there is a lot of group thing. But this year, since teams are more siloed off, I mean, obviously people can text and things like that. Right, but right. I think there will be a little bit more individuality with, like, what teams value versus what the next team values and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's and, and there's different traits. I mean, different different teams want different things from their positions. Like some guys, some teams at wide receiver, they're like, if you can't run this, we're not taking you. Right. 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 Um, and then other teams are like, hey, this guy can contribute on special teams. He can block. He can do all these different things. Like, you know, we can bring this guy. He's tough or whatever. Um, you know, those or or even how good the team is. Like, you know, if you're saying, I mean, this doesn't work as much for developmental players, but. Like uh, like Bryce Hall is a guy that can help a team right away. Um, he's not really a project at corner from a mental standpoint. He has some physical limitations that have him where he is in the draft, and he's coming off an injury. Um, but you could say like, hey, we could plug that guy in and play right away if you think he fits your scheme. Like you don't have to worry about like, oh, he hasn't played a lot of corner. Like he's played True. four years. True. <laughs> you know, so just one team to the next. I think there's going to be more variance this yeah. year. I can speak to that group thing. So like. When I go to practices, a lot of times there's myself and other members of the media. We're kind of stationed in the same place. And a lot of times, you know, we're kind of talking about what we see. And so I'm sure that this has happened, right? That folks have, have you know, checked like a, a practice report thread on my site or, you know, watched somebody or read somebody in the paper or whatever. And, they've all, and they're all similar. Now, in some ways, that's because, you know, the thing that happened, happened, right? But a lot of the takeaways are because, you know, we're kind of talking about it. And it's kind of impossible as a human being to not, not necessarily to, you're not necessarily signing up for whatever somebody thinks. But, like, as the conversation sort of shifts and focuses, you know, it's hard not to to, to walk away with those same shifts and focuses, Right. Um, right. So, so your point. It's the same thing with recruiting. I mean, guys yeah. are like, "Man, this guy's a five star. He's right. awesome." And then it's like, "All right, like, yeah, you know, like, right." So, like, just, it, so like a lot of times, like the ratings and rankings and stuff, right? Like that's done by humans, right? Like those, the you know, our analysts go into, you know, they don't go into a room now. They, you know, they'll do it virtually, but you know, they're they're talking about each player. Um, and those are, you know, either impacted by things they've seen, you know, on huddle things they've seen in, you know, person in camps in person at games, but there's, there's no denying that like, there's also a piece of, um, you know, I don't want to call it momentum, but it almost sounds, it almost feels like momentum, right? Like this. Yeah, idea and of, one of the, and one of the things that I think is the biggest, it makes me laugh so much. Like, um, so especially this year, it's hilarious to think. Just think about how how dumb this is. People say like this guy is falling down draft boards or rising up draft boards. Nothing is happening. Yeah, that's true. How how is somebody rising? And you hear that even in normal years, it's like all the pro days are done, all the combine stuff is done, everything's done, and they're like this guy's flying up draft boards. It's like why? Like <laughs> he's evaluated. He has. I know how this works to an extent. He has a grade. They don't just change the grade. <laughs> like, it's not like, oh, yeah, you know, like we went and watched uh, Joe Reed and it's like we haven't graded as a 75 and we're done with him. Like we've talked to him as much as we can. Like we've seen him run everything. It's not like the guy comes in one day. He's like, you know what? We should make him a 78. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. And um, this every year. What it means is the information is better. Right. Like yeah. or it's lies, which, you know, it's lying season in the NFL. True. But I mean, I think part of it is like we know more. So it's like, let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, Tua, for example, the people are like, OK, uh, you know, like he's not as people aren't as high on him as they were a few weeks ago. It's like really what that is, is you're you're getting better info now. Like the teams weren't as high on him two weeks ago. And now like the media is catching up to that. Right. If that makes any sense. And I think also, too, there's this interesting frustration with with, you know, college football fans, much in the same way there is for college basketball fans the NBA draft comes around, right? Like, how is player X not seen as a, you know, such and such and such, right? And I think for all Virginia fans, the idea that Hasis Dubois probably is going to go undrafted, um, I, I think you did a really good job of, of not just explaining the case for him to get drafted, and but also explaining sort of the the realities of the situation, sort of the, the totality of circumstances, in the sense that, like, yes, he catches everything that's thrown his way, Um but that doesn't necessarily mean he can get to a place on the field where the ball needs to be in order for him to catch it. You know what I mean? Like um, at yeah. the NFL level, like you need a certain amount of speed to get separation from defensive backs who are faster 
you know, than you're going to see in college. Right. And he, and he's the kind he actually, of all the guys, and I'm glad you brought him up. Like he's the guy who I think I'm the most confused about because I don't think he has a 40 time on record, but there's some projected stuff out there. And then obviously he talked to you guys and said a number, um, which he can't really verify. But I mean, I don't, I didn't, when I was watching him, I knew he wasn't a a speed demon, you know, but he, I thought he was like, not slow, you know, like I've seen guys like Kane and Severin, no offense, but like he was pretty slow. Like he was almost a tight end. Yeah. Um, Like from an NFL speed perspective and he didn't get drafted despite being very productive. Dubois, I think, is fast enough to play wide receiver. It's just, I think when you're, like I said, when there's like 50, 60 receivers that are great, you know, I talked to somebody who knows like about draft grades and stuff. And he said, there's guys in like the fifth, sixth, seventh round that are going to be, you know, good, (laughs) you know, like starters. (laughs) Uh, Just because it's just like a really deep year. I mean, you guys watch that, um, like in the UVA Florida Orange Bowl, like Van Jefferson, he's a great receiver and he's going to go in like the fourth round. Yeah. Um, like, so, I mean, I think that there's just so much depth at that position this year that I think normally he would get picked. Um, and this year he might not, but I bet you he makes a team or a practice squad yeah. because what's going to happen is he's going to get in there and he might not separate as much, but he's going to work and he's going to block and he's going to make a bunch of crazy catches in camp that yep. are going to be on like Twitter um, <laughs> and then, you know, or whatever. And he's going to make a team just because of that, because you know, they can be like, we can use this guy on punt coverage. You know, who ha- you know who Haas is, right? Haas is the guy we all fall in love with when we're watching uh, hard knocks. Like right. Haas is that dude who catches like three balls every practice. And she's like, what the hell? Right. And he just goes hard constantly. And all the vets are like shaking, you know, just shook up because there's this rook who just goes out there and just is just pulverizing people. Right. And he makes few mistakes and everything. Like I said, everything you throw him his way, you know, he catches and he, he, he makes the most of his opportunities like he's that guy. And and you know what? That's OK. Like if you watched him at UVA, you didn't expect, you know, when they needed to go 80 yards that they were going to go 80 yards to him. Right. You expect him to go. And I think that's go, what's missing for him, honestly. That's yeah. what's going to keep him from getting drafted if he doesn't get drafted or getting drafted higher is that there's not a ton of like run after the catch stuff or like down beating guys behind the defense stuff. Yeah. His thing is. Whereas like, like Reed can do that. He ran right. four, four something at the combine. Right. Like what Haas does is Haas catches a pass across the middle runs with a dude, gives him a stiff arm, and picks up some extra yardage. He doesn't run away from people, and that's okay. Like, the game requires you have both of those guys. The draft, though, especially in a year where you've just got an historically, you know, deep, you know, um, pool of of really talented receivers, it's going to be tough for a guy like Haas to crack. And yet, at the same time, like, if you're going to get picked in some of those later rounds, you're almost better off to be an unrestricted free agent you know, an undrafted guy who can go and find a home that fits you as opposed to you, you sort of get stuck. You know what I mean? Like in a lot of ways, that actually is not a terrible situation. Um, yeah. And- no, I mean like that, it, you know, yeah, you have more control of your own destiny. You can, you know, sometimes guys have multiple offers from different teams. They can choose one. I mean, you look at Alamide Zacchaeus, like I don't know that the Falcons were like the best situation for him, but he probably had his choice of a few teams. Um, and he picked one and he made the roster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's, and that's the thing. I think Bryce Perkins is the guy I'm most interested to see like where he ends up because I I feel pretty good about Dubois chances to stick around in the league for a while, even if he's bouncing around rosters, practice squads, whatever. Um, Jordan Mack, is going to come down to health. Right. Uh, Reed, I think will will play for a while just because he can play special teams. Um, it just depends. I mean, he has to probably improve some route running stuff to be like a legit wide receiver, like one of the four or five wide receivers on a roster. But I think he can he can give you some stuff that maybe a fifth wide receiver can't in most places. But I want to see what happens to Perkins because, like, as I wrote about, um, and, and this is just my opinion, uh, but I don't think he's going – he projects as a like a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, it, it has nothing to do with his want to or athleticism or anything like that. Um, I just don't see the arm strength down the field or accuracy, I guess I should say, down the field that separates a good college quarterback from a pro. Um, now, but that doesn't mean he can't like play quarterback. I just don't see him as like a long-term starter. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at what Taysom Hill's doing, and it's funny because in a sense, like Taysom Hill's BYU production under this coaching staff is probably what got him the UVA offer <laughs> because like they were looking for a quarterback just like him and they found one and they offered him. Um, and then now his production in the NFL as like a Swiss army knife slash player 
might end up getting Bryce Perkins drafted or on a roster because like if you look at him, it's like, well, we don't know if he's going to be good enough at quarterback. He's borderline, but we know he can run really fast and he can do things out of the backfield and you know like he looks good with the ball in his hands and if he can catch, um, which we don't really know, I guess. Um, you know, who knows? Like the sky's the limit. He could do all kinds of stuff for you. Uh, and I don't know if I mean the Saints are a great place for Taysom Hill to be because they're creative. They're not afraid to, and I wrote this, they're not afraid to kind of like break down the constraints of a position. They're not like, oh, Bryce Perkins is a quarterback. Like, that's where we play him. Because a lot of teams probably would think that way. Um, if he ended up in a place like that, a place that values just creativity, getting the ball in space, um, I could see it working out for him in a different position, assuming that he wants to do that, right? Because I know, like, for example, Joe Reed has said, you know, like he's willing to play running back if that's where they want him. Um it's a little different for quarterbacks. I think for quarterbacks, there's like a pride thing. <laughs> like you want to prove that you can play the position. And I think he starts out there. But I think there's an opportunity for him to end up on a team if he can prove that he can do some other things. Yeah, I think that you're, the way you sort of laid that out I thought was really interesting. And we'll again, we'll link that in the, in the show notes. I thought too, like <laughs> the idea that like because Taysom Hill did this at BYU is why Perkins got the shot at Virginia – and then because Taysom Hill has done this stuff in the league, that maybe part, you know, that that is really interesting. I, I think that for me, the quarterback position is always the one with the NFL draft, where I'm always like, I want to see the guy get a shot. But also, too, I think that you sort of, you know, much like you, if you're a quarterback, you have to have a clock in your head in terms of how to get the ball out. I think you kind of kind of have a clock in your head in terms of like, okay, is this going to be, you know, a thing? that I can really make happen. And listen, there were a lot of people when Bryce Perkins hurt his neck who, who probably thought he was never going to be anything. And then certainly once he, you know, he, he committed to UVA, there were a lot of people who, if you had told them, Hey, he's going to end up being, you know, in two years, what, you know what I'm saying? Like it sets these school records and do all this stuff. They would not have believed you. So, I mean, I, we're certainly not counting the kid out. We're just looking at sort of the, the lay of the land as it looks right now. And it may, and it makes more sense, right. To say, that he's that that it's unlikely for him to do this versus the other. I I would love nothing more than for him to catch on, make a practice squad, make a roster, get a shot, become a starting quarterback, prove everybody including us wrong. Um but that's, you know, betting on yourself as he as he has been so um so good at doing, that's what that's what sports really is, right? Like, yeah, you're going to have a handful of dudes at the top who everybody knew they were going to be great recruiting services couldn't have missed on them. They get to the next level and they're great. Right. But it's everybody else. It's the way that they bet. On, it's the way guys bet on themselves and the, the way that they, you know, they really put in the work and develop and make the most of their chances. Like that's the reason we love it so much. Um, and my, you know, I, I would love nothing more than to see Perkins go out there and do in the league what he did in the ACC, right. To, to be able to just turn heads and people like, wait, who is this dude? Um, you know, I don't, I, I think that anytime, anytime your entire sort of, um, I don't want to say your entire sort of advantage, but like you, you can't just be physically this right in the NFL. Those dudes are so far and few between regardless of position, but especially quarterback, right? Like the comparisons to, you know, Lamar or whoever, like that's, that's really cool. But at the same time, like there's just not that many guys like that, you know, like you can't, your whole thing, like if you're Hasis Dubois and you catch everything, right? Well, that's great. But like a lot of dudes in the league catch everything. You <laughs> yeah. Know what I mean? There's like a hundred of like, those there's guys a lot of those guys, you know, there's, there's not a lot of guys who, who catch everything and also run a, you know, like if, well, that, you know that's I mean? kind of what I wanted to, that's why I wanted to touch on that thing that I hit on in the Perkins breakdown that I wrote. Like, it was not meant to be derogatory towards him at all or his, you know, what he did at UVA. We've, we've gone on record a lot of times talking about how good he was. Um, but I think people, you see these stats, and and this is the danger of the uh, pigeonholed stat that you see on Twitter where you're like, oh, wow, that's a crazy stat. And you retweet it. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But you have to, like, I'm just cynical by nature. And my first thing is to say, like, okay, well – like, and then you take a look at it. So like I, I wrote in the piece, you know, there was a lot of stuff last year about there's two players in college football who uh, threw for 2,500 yards and ran for 900 yards or whatever the stat was. You saw it every day. And it was Kyler Murray who won the Heisman and was the first pick in the draft and Bryce Perkins. And that is a true stat and cool. Um, and then you look at it and you're like, oh, this guy threw for 2,000 more yards than Perkins did and like 20 more touchdowns and ran for more yards. 
So it's like I think what people when people get into like the whole like Heisman thing or whatever, it's like you're getting a little carried away. Like you need to look at what the people that win the Heisman do statistically and wins and loss wise to get there. Like Joe Burrow threw for like 5,500 yards or something crazy. Um, like it's you which know. is for the record a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like Perkins set UVA's school record with 3,500. Right. Um, which is crazy because you think about like how bad the quarterback play must have been up until the, the Mendenhall era, really, because Bankert broke all those records before Perkins did. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, that's kind of what I mean. I think people get carried away with this because I talked to a lot of people who were like, I don't understand why he wouldn't get drafted. And I do think he has talent to play in the NFL um, and is versatile, like I said. But I think when you start to draw those comparisons, like the velocity on the throw, I mean, you can go to, well, you, you have to have a subscription, but we do. You can go to Pro Football Focus and just look at the grades on like throws over 20 yards. And and there's the difference, right? And that's going to show up when teams watch film. Um, you know, if you're hitting those throws in people in stride, find, putting balls in tight windows, hitting out routes, like you're going to be drafted high. Um, when you start to not be able to do those things or you, you can't do it consistently, then it's like, okay, we got to find a way to maximize what he can do. Um, and that just makes it harder for an NFL team. They want the guy that checks all the boxes, right? Um, and Perkins might not check every box, but he does have a few boxes where he checks hard, like running, you know, like, so I think he has the ability to be worth a shot for somebody and he will be, if he doesn't get picked, he will be signed very quickly by somebody. Um, but I think the example that he'll set is perfect because it's like, okay, that if nothing else, that gives him a chance to play quarterback. Because regardless of what you think of his abilities, a team, I guarantee you, some team out there is going to think that. They're going to say, like, all right, well, if worst case scenario, we could just try him at a different position or something. Yeah, that's true. Right? And yeah. then maybe you get your foot in the door, and then maybe you prove everybody wrong. You, you know? get the shot that you want, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I always say about the the end of the NCAA tournament and have, you know, be, oh, you know, this bracket is tough. Dude, to win the championship, you got to be good. Like, you got to win. You know, you got to beat somebody, right? Like, you want to have uh, you want to have your shot at the NFL. Okay, you'll get it. The question is, you know, does your shot come as a second round pick with a, you know, cushy contract or not? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, realistically, he's going to get a shot. The question is how how what he does with it how it looks when he's you know w when the team that he, that picks him evaluates him i wonder i mean it's almost like the the worst case scenario for him was to not have the pro days because i do think that he would have he would have had some pro days and there would have been a handful of teams and he would have been he, he's a perfect example probably of that group think we've been talking about right like he probably goes to a pro day and blows some dudes away and they go back to their teams and now he's got a handful of teams who are really eager to, you know, to see him play and maybe he gets a couple workouts and then teams here he's getting workouts and maybe he gets more like the fact that he didn't get that opportunity that does suck. Like there's just no way around that. But also too, yeah, like you sure. could have had, you could have had scouts who came out, watched him throw and went, Oh, you know, like maybe he's not what we want. Um, I mean, and look, we need to be real clear. Like what we're saying here is that like the dude can, can throw the ball. Yeah, it's just, a marginal difference. It's just it's there like, are only it's a hand. Like, it's not like he can't exactly. Throw. Like if you think about it, like there's a small percentage difference between like being an NFL guy, right, and not. The problem is is that small thing includes like a whole slew of dudes. You know, like it's it it's especially you know as things get more you know nuanced and stuff, right? As time goes on and you know such and such and such, like there are a lot of really good quarterbacks at the college level who won't play in the NFL and that's okay. Um, I still yeah, he wouldn't be the first. I mean, like Troy Smith won the Heisman and was like a six round pick. Yeah. I mean, like think about, you know, like I always think about Aaron Brooks, right? Like if you had told people that Aaron Brooks was going to have the career he had, most of them probably wouldn't have believed you, right? Like he was good. Right. But he wasn't, Yeah, I think he was like a fifth round pick. Or exactly. Something. Like that's, that's, and that's the thing is it like, for every guy who, you know, every Kyler Murray or Mahomes, right, there's, there is a Tom Brady, right? There's a dude who, was, who didn't look like he was going to be anything, who managed to be something, you know, a lot. And I realize I just made, like, a comparison to literally the greatest quarterback of all time probably, right? But, like, in terms of fit, in terms of the, the system, in terms of skill sets that you need, like, Perkins has a lot to work with. The problem is that there are a handful of things that, that some of these systems are just going to require – that might not be there for him. And so he's going to have to find the right place, 
work his way through the through the thing. I would love nothing more, like I said before about Haas. Like I would love nothing more than to watch Perkins get drafted and see him go um, to the next level and just blow up the way he did, you know, in, in this past couple of years. But at the same time, like it's one of those things where like we can't we can't predict something that's going to happen when it just doesn't look like it's going to happen, and that's okay. That's just the the way sports works. And again, neither one of us has ever been an NFL scout. Um, you know, I've sat with some at, at, at different stadiums. I mean, that's as close as I'll probably ever get. Um, but I hope he I hope he has his opportunity. And and I mean, all those guys. I mean, you know, Eli Handback, Jordan Mack. You know, those dudes. Though, you know, if they if they are given an opportunity, like Eli Handback, seems like a guy who very likely could work his way and just you know, playing the yeah. for a bunch of years. You that was I mean? the funny thing was like what his was interesting because when I did his profile, I just didn't have much to say either way. It was kind of like, he's, he's like a very solid player. He doesn't flash a lot. He was productive. He played four years. He played end and tackle, which is good. Um, physically he's probably below average at, at that position. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, they want you to be a little faster off the ball. They want you to be, and he, yeah, he's not like explosive. breaking through guys. Right. Like, like other, he's not like a physical freak, but the end. dude plays the position really, really well. And I think right. that's so something he could that's be really a guy that they're like, well, he doesn't make mistakes. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there wasn't a lot of negatives either. It was just physical. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like you, you can't really demerit him any points. You, you just can't give him any bonus points. You know what right. I mean? But I mean, like, yeah, Bronco, I mean, when you're looking at him and and that's the thing with the NFL in general. And I think that that's I don't want to say it's a problem with the league because it turns out a pretty good product. But I mean, like, there are a lot of lines in the sand that end up looking dumb later. Right. Like, <laughs> like, well, it's like, OK, we have Eli Handback, this guy that played four years. He might not be the most physically impressive, um, but, you know, he started four years, really smart guy, really hard worker, probably a little bit underrated as an athlete, uh, recovered like six fumbles in his career, scored two touchdowns, um, never really made a bunch of mistakes, just was very solid, right? Good coaching. And then we have this other guy who's like a knucklehead who got like kicked out of a school, um, who but he's like a physical. Fr- <laughs> but he can run the forty like three tenths of a second faster. Right, yeah, in there. <laughs> he, he wasn't productive. He only he, he only played like part of the time, like right. you know whatever. And he, those guys sometimes get picked because it's just like he's so physically gifted that we have to try like. Um, or it's like we would rather take a shot on this guy as a developmental player than somebody that's just solid, but we know there's a ceiling. And I think that's where it is with Dubois. It's kind of like his physical abilities put a ceiling on like how, I mean, he's not going to be a guy that just catches 15 touchdowns in a season. I don't think unless he gets a lot faster, just because some of those touchdowns will have to be getting away from NFL caliber DBs and not just catching things in the red zone. Cause he's not a tight end. Um, but I mean, yeah, it just, who knows? I mean, I think that there are, there are plenty of guys that, I mean, like I said, Lamade Zaccheaus made a 53-man roster as an undrafted free agent. Chris Peace made a 53-man roster as an undrafted free agent last year. Um, Kurt Bankert's been on the Falcons for two years now. Um, those guys are out there. Anthony Harris, I mean, like, and that's the thing. A lot of these guys that get picked later, there's a reason. There's just something, whether it's an injury red flag or he's a tweener or he's not big enough or he's not fast enough or something. Um, Anthony Harris had an injury and he just wasn't as productive as a senior as he was as a junior. People forgot about him. He went on, he went in the fourth round, I think. And look at him now. He's making like $12 million this year and he's going to make a ton of money. He's going to get super duper paid. Right. He's like the best, one of the best safeties in the league. (laughs) And we knew that at UVA, we're like, this guy picks off everything. He's a great player, but you know, it just didn't flash enough on tape and he's not the most physically imposing guy. But what do you do? He get picked in the fourth round. He was a special teams guy, depth defensive player. I think somebody in front of him got hurt. He came in. He made, took the guy's he job. Made, he made the most of it. You know, right. that's what that's what it's got to take. Um, so those guys have the chance. I mean, they're all going to have their chances to 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 be those you know sorts of players. Like the the, the opportunity is going to be there. The odds are a little bit stacked against you when you get picked later in, in the undrafted free agent. Um, pool but i mean i think alameda zacchaeus tweeted it today he was like all i knew when i didn't get picked was that i'm just gonna have to work harder like to make it you know i'm gonna have to prove myself whereas maybe if i got picked in the fourth round or something you wouldn't have to um but you know uva not to be corny but uva has this earn not given philosophy these guys are used to hard work i think that that helps them you know when they get to the league you know to kind of stand out against guys that maybe aren't used to that kind of culture yeah 
how did we go an hour and change um, in this? I'm not real sure. Um, and we only spent like a handful of minutes talking about free roll-ups. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of impressed by us. Yeah, we'll have to save the rest of that stuff for later in the summer when we really <laughs> run out of material. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get Dave back on soon and we can do um, one of those what-if podcasts. Um, but I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm very appreciative of, of, uh, of folks who, who are enjoying our um, hair conversations uh, and such. Speaking of which, I'm totally going to cut my hair tomorrow, I think. Um, let's see. If you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined, give us a rating and review. helps to get us out in front of more people. If you're somebody who found the pod but has not given us a look yet at the website, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Let's see, right now, basically all the things Ferber just talked about, right, the draft profiles and stuff, we've got them all up on the site. Um, I did some – I broke some stuff down from that um, coordinator's call the other day. We've got um, an in-depth thing that uh, Adam Gorney from the West Coast um, did with Josh McCarron. Um, We've also got – I got a thing up today talking about Juwan Briggs and Nick Jackson, two kids from – um, last year's um, recruiting class who who seemed to have impressed Nick Howell um, and Charles Snowden as well. So I'll, uh, I'll link that uh, in addition as well. Um, let's see. Um, I don't know where things are with the Fanatics link, but if you see it in the app of choice, uh, hit that as well. Anything that you purchase via that link, UVA or otherwise, goes to support the show, goes to support the site, and we appreciate that. So again, I want to thank everybody out there who continues to support the show. I want to thank Ferber for giving graciously of his very copious amounts of free time. Um, as always, uh, I very much appreciate it. So for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.